The Lord is with us. He's with us this morning. Wherever you go and wherever I go, God is with us. That should shape the way we live. That should shape the way you think. That should shape the way you step out in faith. That should shape the way you trust him. It should really change the way you live. And as we've been walking through this series of messages that we are on a short-term missions trip here to take the good news of Christ, knowing that he is with us should change the way we live. But let me just ask a question today. I'll ask this question first. Does it change the way you live? How many of you say this phrase and you have let this phrase or this encounter keep you from being the person God intends you to be? And it goes like this. I almost died when I did that. I almost drowned. I almost threw up. I almost didn't make it. I almost, I almost, I almost. And you know what that almost is. And because of that almost that happened in your life, you refuse to do it again. You are letting this almost, this fear in your life that took place sometimes six months ago, years ago, sometimes in your childhood, to keep you from doing that again and even more than that. And so you let this event that took place that you almost died, you almost drowned, you almost didn't make it, you almost didn't get the job, she almost said no, he almost said no, and you are letting an almost continue to strangle you from being who God wants you to be. And in your mind, because it almost took place, and hear me out, it didn't take place, You are letting that fear keep you from stepping out and taking trustful, faithful steps with Christ. Let me just remind you of something. You're here today, aren't you? And so somehow God got you through that, and he wants to remind you, not that you almost didn't make it. He's saying, I was with you. You're here. You made it. So what keeps us? Hanging on this fear that said, I almost died. I almost drowned. I almost didn't make it. I almost didn't have what it takes. I almost didn't finish that race. I almost, and it has kept you from stepping out into that territory again. You know what it's called? It's called a chain that has strangled you. And every day, this ball and chain, you drag and you say, I'm a Christ follower, I'm all in. Jesus, I love you. I'll go anywhere. And the truth is, no, you won't. Because you believe a lie. It needs replaced with this truth. That Christ with you, God with you, that through him and with him, you can do all things with him. But let me ask you, What is that almost? And boy, do they surface. Boy, have I heard them this week. I can't do that because I almost. I won't try that because I've never done that. I almost, I almost. And we call ourselves Christ followers. And we have the God of the universe with us. And he's crying out and he's going to say it again today. Listen, you are here You made it. In case you didn't know, take a look. You're here. I got you through that. And I can do it again. And today, see, see, we can even amen that. You can even say hallelujah. You can say, I believe that. But do you? Do you really? How many of you are still saying, I can't overcome that. I can't give up that habit. I can't give up that addiction. I can't overdo that. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't because I almost didn't make it. Today, we will see a group of people who could have taken that posture. But there was one man who stood up in the midst and said, what are you talking about? Don't you know who our God is? And because of one man's voice who knew that God was with them, this whole nation overcame. Grab your Bibles. Turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. And if you need a Bible today, hold your hand up. Ushers will put one in your hand. But turn to 2 Kings chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 8 through 14 this morning. 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 to 14. And when you find that, stand with me 
And we're going to read it out loud together as we read God's word. 2 Kings 6, verses 8 to 14. Let's read this out loud together. Ready? Read. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware of passing that place, because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on that place, indicated by the man of God. Time again, Elisha warned the king, so that he was on guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Tell me, which of us on the side is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers, but Elisha, the prophet, who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very word you speak in your bedroom. Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They were, went by night and surrounded the city. You may have a seat. It's a reminder today that God is with us. Here's the story. Israel, which was often at war with an enemy. This time it's Aram. The king of Aram wants to come against Israel. And so every single time he gives a strategy, every time he's the coach giving the the play, run to the left, run to the right, run to the center, punt. Whatever it is. Whatever the game plan is, the strategy that he lays out, Every single time he gathers his troops and said, we're going to ambush him on this road. We're going to surround him here. Every time that he puts a play into action, a plan of attack, when the Israelites come along, they know he's going to be there. So they walk around. They don't go there. And so the king says, I'm ticked. So he calls his own soldiers in. said, all right, who's the snitch? Who in this group is telling our enemy where we're gone? Like, no one should know this information. There's no way it can happen unless one of you is telling them what we're doing next. He even says in this text that someone is in your bedroom listening to you. Give the orders. And so the story begins. The king of Aram wants to go after whomever is doing it. And he said, it's this man, Elisha. He knows everything. It's like he's talking to their God and he knows what you're thinking. He knows your every move. He knows what you're talking about in your bedroom. And so the king of Aaron says, go get this man. Let's capture him. So picture this whole army going after one man, not after Israel, but after one man. And he's about to put an end to this. However, Elisha is going to step into the picture. He has his servant who's aware that there's a, this company of soldiers against him, and Elijah has a choice to make. Will he stand up in the midst of all these soldiers coming after him, or will he run and retreat? Elijah knew this, that God is with us. That if we could get that one down, like if you and I woke up every day and reminded ourselves of this truth, that God is with us, it would change the way we live on this short-term missions trip. Psalm 139, David tries to describe our God. And the reason God is with us is because he can be everywhere at once. He's omnipresent. So right now, God is here at Grace Community Church. He's with you. When you leave this afternoon, he'll be with you. He's in Florida. He's in Texas. He's in Africa. He's in Europe. He's in every place right now. There isn't a place that God is at. And not only isn't there a place that God is at, he's not more interested in one area than he is the other. God is everywhere. The enemy isn't everywhere. He's not omnipresent. And the moment we get that down, it changes how we live because we know wherever we go, he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Everywhere you go, God goes. Everywhere the millions of Christ followers go, God is with them. He can be everywhere at once. That just blows my mind, by the way. This little finite mind called Jim Brown's mind doesn't comprehend that. And so this week, I tried as best as I could to put it into words. Here's what this means. God is never surprised by anything you face and is not shocked by how you respond to it. God didn't wake up this morning and say, boo, that's a new one. He's never thought that thought. God never wonders what to do next. He has already made his move. God never wonders. He never thinks, I'm not sure what I would do on that one. 
He never processes information after it's already happened. He thinks in past, present, and future all in one train of thought. God never wonders what to do. You and I do often. I wonder what I should do with that one. I wonder how I should respond when this takes place. God never wonders. He never postures the thought of wondering. He knows everything. God is never stumped. He never says, that's a first. Never. He's never stumped. There's nothing that you'll face or I'll face that we'll come to. God is never stumped by anything. God has never lost at anything, nor can he lose. He doesn't know what, what, what a second place is. He doesn't know what a participation trophy is, nor should you. He doesn't. He always wins. Can you imagine, no matter what you did, it, it didn't matter. It, it, does, it doesn't even matter. You, you could do anything, and you always win. God has never lost. Think about that. Never. Here's something to think about that came to my mind this week. He never comes in possession of new knowledge. He knows all. God knows everything. Like, he doesn't Google something and say, hmm, that's a new thought. He never says, after I preach on a Sunday, wow, Jim, I got to think on that one. I never thought about that. No. Like, he, he doesn't have to Google anything. He knows every, he's never processed a new thought. You know how we learn, praise God, that we're on this pro- process called the sanctification journey, which means we're daily sanctified, we're becoming more. And you know how much fun it is? Like, isn't it fun sometimes just to learn something new in God's word? Isn't it fun sometimes just like to, to learn a new fact? Isn't it fun as a coach to figure out a new play? Like you figure you got something they don't have. And the first time you throw it, yeah. God never, ever does that. Come on, that blows my mind. Never processes new information. God knows what your enemy is thinking and his next move he intends to make. Think about that. I talked last week about demons who oppose us and opposer called Satan. God knows everything he thinks. Like Satan can't get away and whisper and say, hey, don't let God know this one. I want you to attack Jim this week doing this, okay? Keep it on the lowdown, okay? God says, are you kidding me? However, Satan, the enemy, can't do that. So it's not as if demons go out and they give a report. Demons have to bring information back to Satan. God gives angels what to do. He doesn't gather reports. He's not sitting there waiting, tell me what's happening. Tell me, what do you think I should do? Never. That's our God. That's who is on our side. There's nothing that you and I will ever face that God hasn't already processed, thought about, and knows what to do. How about this? This came to mind this week. Did it ever occur to you that nothing ever occurs to him? Like, how many of those moments have, wow, that just occurred to me. God never says, that never occurred to me. Come on, church. That's awesome! He is omniscient. Here's what God is, and we can say that to him. God... You're just a know-it-all. Yes, he is. Praise the Lord. And that God, our God, is with us wherever we go. Do you know when he sent out in Matthew 28, and he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing, teaching, showing them? And he said this, and lo, I am with you, Even until the end of this age, God is everywhere. He's with you today. So when you walk into this issue, this concern, you have this battle to face. When you're on this short-term mission trip, God has already been there. He knows all. He can send in rescue helpers alongside of you. There is nothing that you will face today that God isn't fully informed about before you face it. 
this king of Aram is ticked because he's trying to figure out how did they know that? It's because Elisha prayed to God and God told him, hey, that army's coming down here. Hey, that army's going to ambush over here. Hey, they're going to line up soldiers there. They're going to shoot here. They're going to trap there. He already knew everything. And God is fully aware of what you and I will face today. He's the fly on the wall. He's the mouse in the room. And we have no reason to fear when God is with us. At some point, hear me, Grace Community, at some point, The fear you have must face the God you know. And when your fear faces the God you know, you no longer fear. Because you know who he is. So, this army's coming after Elisha. How does he respond? Look at verse 13. Look what it says in 13. It says, go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night, surrounded the city. Verse 15, when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Look at Elijah's servant's response. He looks out and he sees them surrounded by chariots. And horses. And he says this, Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Let me just say this. As we walk in this journey called the Christian walk, we're out here to complete the mission. It's not about us. It's to seek and save lost people. And as you and I go to share the good news of Christ, God is with us. We will be opposed. But listen to me, as we go on this short-term mission trip, you will face opposition, but you have no reason to fear because the God of the universe is with you. But let me ask the question. I want you to answer this inside your heart. Why can some people remain at peace when opposition comes and others fret and worry? Two Christ followers who have the same God How can two people look at the same obstacle, look at the same opposition, look at the same thing, one fears, worries, and frets, and the other one is calm and collect like Elisha is here? How is it possible? Well, I know the answer to that. I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. Go over to the book of Proverbs and look at Proverbs chapter 1. It's one of the many reasons that I have our men here at Grace Community Church to read a chapter of Proverbs every single day of their lives. Proverbs chapter 1. It's because of this. Proverbs chapter 1, look at verse 20. Here's why one can be at peace, and here's why some fear. This is why some fret and some worry. Look at Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 20. Out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She, wisdom, raises her voice in the public square. On the top of the wall, she, wisdom, cries out. At the city gate, she, wisdom, makes her speech. How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? Repent, wisdom says, at my rebuke. Then I will pour out my, what, what's it say? Thoughts to who? To you, I will make known to you my what? What's it say? Teachings. But since you refuse to listen when I call, and no one pays attention when I stretch out my hand, since you disregard all my advice and do not accept my rebuke, I, wisdom, in turn, will what? What's it say? Laugh when disaster strikes you. I will mock when calamity overtakes you. When calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you, then they will call to me. But I, wisdom, will not, what? What's it say? Answer. They will look for me, wisdom, but will not find me, wisdom. Since they hated, what? What's the word? Knowledge. 
and did not choose to fear what? The Lord. Since they would not accept my advice and spurn my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. For the waywardness of the simple will what them? What's it say? Kill them. And the complacency of fools will destroy them. And then it says this, but whoever listens to me, wisdom, will live in what? Safety and be at what? Ease without fear of harm. Here's what this means. Hear me out, Grace, Christ followers, those of you who are born again, those who know Jesus Christ, heaven as a personal savior. When we neglect to get wisdom during calm times, we will not have it when calamity strikes. A self-reliant man will come to the end of his ability if he has not to learn trust in Jesus in the calm too. Here's what it means. We're so prone. Lord, I don't need you today. The only time we go to God is what this passage is saying. Those who are fools. The only time we go to you, God, is when we need help. When we're at the end of ourselves. And wisdom is saying, oh, no, 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 no. You walk with me today. You're with me and you're crying out to God in the peace. You're crying out to God every single day. It's the daily discipline of talking and reading and praying. It's saying, God, even though it appears all things are calm, I still need you. I want you. You are God. I'm not a self-made man or woman. And what happens is if you don't walk with him, if you're not in tune with him in the calm, in the moments where you think you don't need him, then hear me out. When distress comes your way, when opponents knock on your door, you will fall apart because you haven't learned to trust him. And listen, wisdom says, I'm not coming to you and helping you if you refuse to listen to me when you are a self-reliant man or woman. That's hard stuff. Here's what that means. Every single day of our lives, we commune with God. Every single day of our lives, we need him. Self-reliant men or women will come to the end of themselves, and when they cry out, wisdom says, I will spurn their voice. I rebuke them. I will not. Because why? Because you did not walk with God when the calm was in your life. It reminds me of a course to a song, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh God, how I need you. What's Elisha's response? Look back at 2 Kings. Here's a man of wisdom. 2 Kings. The servant says in verse 15, Oh my Lord, what shall we do? Verse 16 says this, Don't be afraid, the prophet Elisha answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. At some point, Please, Grace, hear me today. At some point, you would think we would be here. Yet I know, because we're human and we battle. And the flesh screams. And as we walk down that road that I talked about last week, remember? I said, there's this road to Jesus, the author and finisher of our face at the end of it. There's nothing that can stop us getting to him. But along the side of the road, there are these two row houses, two-story row houses. They have demons. They're crying out. They're giving voices, stop, look, do this, tempting us, and we get distracted, and we sit on the porches of all these demonic homes instead of focusing our eyes on Christ. And the minute we listen to those voices instead of listen to Christ, we become fearful. At some point, we got to say, I have no reason to fear. Over 300 times in the Bible, 300 times, times this phrase occurs in some form or fashion. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Why? Because we are prone to fear. But the moment we know who God is and that he is with us, we set fear aside. Elisha says there are more with us than surrounding us. 
and the servant's like, say what? Like, like Elijah, what did you eat for breakfast this morning? Like, look up there. Don't you see we're surrounded? Don't you see the chariots? Don't you see the weapons? Don't you see the faces of our enemy? We're doomed. There's not anybody else here but us. We're going to die. And Elisha says, oh no, there's more with us than are with them. If I could open up the spirit world right now for you, and I'm going to try to do it mentally for you. If we could open up the heavenlies right now, there is a battle raging in the heavenlies right now. There are ministering spirits, angelic angels of God. They're battling against the demonic forces of Satan, and they want to eat you alive. But hear me out. Greater is he that's with us than he that's in the world. And right now, if you could see, there is a battle raging, and they want you. And there is no doubt in my mind that they are on working on overtime because the enemy hates truth. And he wants to come after you. But we have to open our eyes like Elijah says, greater is he that's with us than he that's in the world. We are never outnumbered when God walks with us. So what did Elisha do? He said, there's more with us than there are with coming against us. The servant couldn't understand this. And so Elisha says in verse 17, and Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Imagine that moment. Just seriously, imagine. Like, I've often, Lord, just, just give us a peek into the heavenlies. Just, like, give us, like, give, give me five seconds, Lord. Just five. And if we could see how God is with us, and he has ministering spirits defending and caring for us, we would never be the same again. But hear me out. That's why we have to walk in faith. That's why we have to believe God's word that says this is true. That's why Deuteronomy 31, 8 says, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you and he will never leave nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, grace community. That's why Deuteronomy 3, 22 says, do not be afraid of them. Your God himself will fight for you. That's why Isaiah 45, 2 says, I will go before you and make rough places smooth. That interview you have this week, that, 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 that surgery, that encounter, that hurricane, that flight, whatever you face, God says, I will go before you and make rough places smooth. Amen? That's what our God says he does. And listen, if he says he does it, he does it. He's with us wherever we go. I love what Hebrews 1.14 says. We talked about our enemy last week, and he has demons who are limited. Remember I told you, Satan's not all-knowing. He only gets information that's collected. He He only has information that he's observed. However, we now have this whole angelic host that serves God. God knows everything. They don't report back and say this. They don't say, hey, God, I was watching Jim today. He's in trouble. We better go tell God. No, God says, hey, Jim's in trouble. Go help him. He has these ministering spirits, Hebrews 1.14 says, sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. Here's what the Bible says about angels. Psalm 34, 7 says they're encamped around us. Psalm 91, 11, and 12 says they guard us and lift us up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Every single day when I leave our home, this morning I pray with, with my wife as I left the home. This is a prayer that I pray because we have to walk in obedience. We have to ask. We can't assume. We have to be obedient. God honors obedience. God always honors our steps of obedience. This morning, Ann was seated in the chair and I'm headed to Grace early. I walked over as I do each morning, put my arm around her. She held my hand. I held hers and I prayed, dear God, I pray for favor, your favor. 
Dear God, I pray for your blessing. I pray for your protection on our marriage. I pray for your protection, favor, and blessing on our family. I pray for your favor and protection on Grace Community Church. And the moment you and I pray that, God sends his angels. Now, I, I picture, like, when I walked out, I thought, woo. Let me ask you something. Did you even put the armor of God on this morning? Oh. Listen to me, Grace. We got to be obedient. If you want to overcome in your marriage, if you no longer want to be that person who's, who is chained in fear because you almost died, you almost drowned, you almost didn't get the job, and you almost fell, and you almost, you almost, you almost, you almost, and you're letting fear cripple you, then you better, you better every single day get dressed and ask God to go with you and ask God to protect your husbands. Listen to me, listen to me. Dads, are you praying that over your family every single day? That's your responsibility. You're the gatekeeper. Are you teaching your kids to put on the armor of God? You're the gatekeeper. Are you teaching your wife? Are you grabbing your wife and praying over her? Some of us are afraid to even pray with our wives. You know why? You know why it's so difficult to pray with your wife? Because you're opposed. You could talk to her about the hurricane until she's blue in the face. You could talk about Notre Dame's loss until you're blue in the face. You could talk about Ohio State getting beat, and you might, you might talk for hours because you're excited. And never once did you think, man, that was hard to talk about that, wasn't it? Especially if you're a Michigan fan. Why? Because you're not opposed. But the moment you begin to talk about Jesus, you think, why can't I talk? It's because you're opposed. But listen, greater is he that's in us than he is in the world. The moment we ask God for help, listen, he wins. We overcome and we can speak truth. We all have fears. On our most recent missions trip, to Cambodia and Thailand, we took the kids to a, uh, a swim park in, uh, in Thailand. It was brand new. It was the last year we were there, they were building it, and they had never been there, and, and we had never been there. And it wasn't OSHA approved, by the way. Just not a chance. And one of the, the slides, this is, I'm not even exaggerating. I knew I was going to die. I figure, what a way to go with orphan kids, praise God. <laughs> Pure and faultless religion, what a way to go. So I'm 55 years old. If you put me on the, the, the teacup at Disney World, I get dizzy. Like, I used to get on that and spin that thing. You get me on there, it's like, woof. I mean, I, my, my equilibrium isn't, anybody there with me now in their 50s, like, I, I can't do it anymore. But I'm not going to let that stop me from loving on these kids. So these kids, they're dragging me up the steps, you know. Up, it's, it's like 104 stories in the air. Just, it's almost. And so we're walking up there. We're, we're carrying this, this raft, and we're getting up there. And, 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 and there's, this, there's this chute. It's, you walk inside, and the guy doesn't speak English. So I'm, you know, I'm like, am I doing it right? Am I, you know, will I die halfway or quarter of the way? And so I'm with this group, and I wanted to go with them. And, you know, I want to lead the way. It's Daddy Jim. Everyone loves Daddy Jim. Daddy Jim, no fear. <laughs> if you only knew what I was thinking. So I had to talk to myself instead of listen to myself. So they put me in this cube, that, this tube. And you get inside, and so he motioned, put your arms like this. And he took my head and pushed it back. <laughs> I'm serious. I asked Jesus to save me six times. Just making sure I was. And then they put you in there, and then this floor drops out from underneath you. He's counting down like three, and at two it goes. I repent it the whole way down. I mean, I, I, I couldn't see. I, was, I, I, I knew I had died. And it was 54. Listen to me, 50 feet straight down. And I'm running through this tube, and I couldn't see anything. And, and, and before I left, I, I looked over at, 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 at the guy that I was with, 
And I asked him, you want to go first? He went, great. Anyhow, I finally get down to the bottom, got saved seven times on the way down, and come out on the other end. And I'm telling you what, it was the best thing I ever did. Why? Because I didn't let fear stop me. And I wonder, how many of you? Well, the last time I tried, it almost died. Almost, almost, almost. And God is saying, no, you didn't. I was with you. And I am with you now. You have no reason to fear. So Elisha says, don't be afraid. God has angels. God has help. God sends his help. Let me give you an example how God's help works. This comes from the book, The Celebration of Miracles. Connie and her husband, Jeff, were missionaries in Africa working with Hindu people and had an opportunity to visit missionaries in India. The trip involved a 38-hour train ride from New Delhi to an orphanage in the south. They had been warned not to eat the food on the train, but they had taken very little food with them. And Connie was so famished, she decided to take her chances. So she ate some curd mutton and soon was extremely ill. After arriving at the orphanage, Connie went to bed where she remained for three days. Jeff was traveling during that time and the missionaries, thinking she was reacting to the miserable poverty of their surroundings, thought she didn't want to be bothered and left her alone. It was not until it was time to move on to the next orphanage that they realized she was desperately ill. They realized she needed to get to a hospital fast, so they set out for the nearest one, which was three hours away. About 15 minutes into the ride, Connie's muscles began to cramp. First her fingers, then her knees, and toes curled inward. And her facial muscles contracted, so she was unable to even talk. Finally, she found herself paralyzed as the jeep bounced along the primitive road. They were concerned, thinking she might not make it because she was so dehydrated. Jeff cried out to God, please do a miracle. Do something. Suddenly, the missionary who was driving spotted a small Red Cross building off the trail. As the jeep pulled to a stop, Connie tried to protest. She couldn't speak, though. Her hands were curled up. She was concerned about the rampant AIDS epidemic in these remote areas and the practice of reusing needles. As the group made their way into the building, which was well lit and very clean, an Indian man, dressed in a white shirt and baggy pants, greeted them in perfect English. He said, I know what's wrong with her. She's dehydrated. I have some electrolytes here in this packet. This water has already been boiled. He mixed the electrolytes with the water and handed Jeff an eyedropper encased in a plastic bag and said, it's sterile looking directly at Connie as he said it. Jeff was given instructions to put one drop at a time in Connie's mouth, which was locked open until they reached the hospital. When they reached the hospital an hour and a half later, her muscles had relaxed. She was able to walk into the hospital. The doctor said it was the worst case of dehydration he had ever seen. Her body had literally sucked the water out of the cells. She had come within hours of dying. A few weeks later, after returning to Africa, they received a letter from the missionary couple in India. They said, you won't believe this. When we returned to our village via the route we had taken to get you to the hospital, that Red Cross building was gone. There was nothing in that place where it was. That man wasn't there in white baggy pants or a white shirt. And the story goes on to say, was this the work of one of God's ministering spirits? One day we will know, but in the meantime, we can certainly say that God was with us. And he's with you. 
Why are we so afraid to share the gospel on this short-term missions trip? When the good news of Jesus Christ changes lives, and people are going to hell every single day unless we share. The moment you and I choose to share Jesus, you will be opposed. And here's why. Here's why we don't share. Because we begin to listen to the whispers on that two-story homes on that road to Jesus, and they go like this. You're not smart enough to share the gospel. People will reject you. It is better just to be their friend than to tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. Hang out with them, play with them, have fun with them, but don't dare share the good news of Christ because they won't be your friend anymore. Or we say this, and he believed this, that our lives don't match up to our calling. We fear that because we sin or have sin, what place does that give us to share something to someone about Jesus? It puts you right where you need to be. Because the only thing we have to offer Jesus anyway for our salvation is our sin. It's by his grace that we're able to be saved. You see, then we believe this other whisper, that all we need to do is love them and not speak the truth. How many times have you done a good deed and walked away and said, that's enough. I give them a box of candy. Someone else can tell the good news. Yet the Bible says, how will they know unless a messenger is sent? And how will they hear unless the messenger speaks? Please hear me. God has been calling you over and over to share with your best bud the guy that you work with, that you go out in a boat with, the gal that you run with and work out with, a patient of yours, yet you continue to believe that somehow you won't be able to share the good news. You know, here's the reality. A sinner may go to hell and say, but he should never go unloved. And the most loving thing that you can do for anybody is to tell them that Jesus loves them, gave his life for them, and can save them. May our friends never stand before Jesus and say one day, why didn't he ever tell me? I hung out with him 10 hours a week, and he was afraid to tell me that there's good news, that Jesus can change my life. If he was my friend, how can I call him my friend if he never told me about Jesus? You see, we let fear rule us. And meanwhile, our friends and family will go to hell. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 to 12 says that angels are interested and ready to help in someone that's coming to salvation. Here's the picture. Let me paraphrase that. It says that angels lean in when we begin to talk about Jesus. Like, oh, watch, there he is. Watch, watch. They're going to get saved. And not only do they lean in, they assist. It's like they're ready. It's this picture of them. They're interested in seeing people come to Christ. And I wonder, how often have they leaned into your life this week? Prayer is a lethal weapon. And Elisha cries out. In fact, show me a praying man or woman and I will show you a dangerous, courageous, bold, armor-bearing man of God standing with a peaceful grin on his face at the gates of hell. Watch what Elisha does. Verse 19, or verse 18, as the enemy came down toward him, Elijah prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elijah had asked. Elisha told him, this is not the road. This is not the road and this is not the city. Follow me and I will lead you to the man you are looking for. He led them to Samaria. And after they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes and then they looked and they were, there they were inside Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elijah, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? Kill, 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 kill. 
Elisha says, do not kill them. Would you kill those who have captured, you've captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram, what's the next word? Stopped raiding who? What's it say? Israel's territory. Prayer can make things that are humanly impossible, possible. And fear does just the opposite. Can I say this? These are words that God gave me this week. Start this day by serving an eviction notice on fear, strongholds, addictions, lies, and anything that stands against the promises of God and replace it with an invitation to all the truths of God who he says you are. As I was reading this this week, God brought to mind this passage, and I want you to listen to it. He brought to mind Psalm 23, because think about this. Here's the enemy. They were surrounding them, and now Elisha leads them, and now when they open up their eyes, they're surrounded by his rope. Not only that, Elisha says, let's give them food to eat. Now they're having a meal. The enemies are in the midst of of their enemies, and they eventually say, we will never attack Israel again. It reminded me of this incredible psalm that many of us are familiar with, and I'll read it to you. Just listen to it. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here's what that means. I want to demonstrate that to you today. Picture if you can with me right now. That obstacle, that enemy, that fear that you have, that person coming against you, that group of people who is waiting for you is waiting for you to be defeated. That thing that you think, I can never overcome. Psalm 23, David reminds us that there will come a day if we trust in him, that there will come a day that God himself will prepare a table for us. And we get to sit at this table. And not only do we get to sit at this table, this dinner will be no ordinary meal that you've ever experienced before. In fact, the word table means spread. God isn't speaking about little pieces of food. He's talking about a vast spread, a massive feast. He's talking about food that's just good. I'm not, it's good. Let me have some. And God said, I'm going to set you at this table. And I'm going to serve you. And you're going to talk with your mouth. It's good. And it's going to be so good. And, and this is the table. And then he says this to you. I want to remind you that you're the only guest. You get all of it. Like, <laughs> you get to eat here. And you're looking around the table and you realize... We're serving. Waiter, waiter, fill us up. And then God himself puts on the apron. He comes out. So I'd like to serve you, son. I'd like to serve you, daughter. And you say, hey, can you bring some dinner music? Yeah, I got it. Bring up the dinner music. So he sends out the musicians. <laughs> hey, try one of these. <laughs> And meanwhile, the text says this. As he's serving you this incredible meal and reminding you, I'm with you, Jim. I'm with you. Just you and me. All your enemies are seated on the fringes. They're not invited. They're seated on the fringe of the scene and they watch 
everything unfold. They see the Lord himself spreading your table with food, escorting you to your seat and waiting on you. Then they watch as you fill your soul with heaven's delightful food. And I'll tell you this, no demon power, including the devil himself, could ever comprehend this kind of love that God has prepared for us. What an incredible scene. Can you picture? Your enemies are in shock. They're like, what? They were sure they were going to make you fail. They were sure they were going to say, I had the upper hand. I told you he wasn't any good. She wasn't any good. They're useless. And they were prepared to stand over you gloating as you fell into destruction. Yet now, they have been ordered, ordered, ordered to wipe you feast on them. As the Lord God himself anoints your head with his peace and love. Grace, hear me today. This is what God has prepared for those who trust him and do not fear. And we know from that passage that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil because God is with us. I want to remind you of that today. So I'm going to ask you to stand just quietly. Just stand. Don't leave. Just stand here in the main link. Now I want you to read Psalm 23. Now listen, I don't know what your issue is. And it could be hard. It might be with a child. It might be with a wife. It might be, the, it might be someone that's trying to get rid of you. It might be a fear that you've been holding on to. It might be a fear of sharing. It might be a fear that, that, that you're saying, I almost... And I want you to read this truth. I want you to replace all those lies with these truths. So I want you to read it, and I'll listen. Read. So, Lord, we go in that truth. Send us. And when fear wants to envelop us, let us trump those lies with that truth. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. See you next week.